I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast, as ever, your host, Matt Dixon. And today, I'm going to start off by telling you a little story, and it's going to be about one of my Ironman performances. Now, typically, when someone tells you a story of their sporting accomplishments, you're going to have to fasten your seatbelt and prepare for a passionate story of heroism and valiant effort against all odds. The fish really was that big. But this isn't that type of story. It's actually one that entails me spending every step of the marathon portion of an Ironman running, like we say in Purple Patch, like a donkey dipped in cement. And so, let's get going. First, the scene, Coeur d'Alene Ironman 2003. You guys that are outside of the US, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, the Mountain West. Excitement rose as race day loomed. Every day leading in was windless, partially cloudy and a very clement mid-70s. The race plan was set, my pacing, my strategy, my nutrition all dialed in. When it came to nutrition, my final words from my coach at the time were, if you're struggling on the run, turn to Coca-Cola. I promise you, Matt, it's liquid gold. But a warning, once you've gone to Coke, don't stop taking Coke. Well, with that in the back of my mind, race day came. The kick in the family jewels arrived. High wind and over 100 degrees, a 30 degree shift in temperatures overnight. For you metric heads, yes, that is darn hot. One might call it a Mountain West Classic. Well, I hadn't even done many Ironmans by this stage, and the one thing that was sure to temper my enthusiasm and performance was high heat. I hated it. So how did it go? Well, out of the swim... First place, bully for me. Yes, you are. Thank you very much, my son. First place, my swimming background, of course. The bike in the game. But I had no real strategy to counter that heat. No adjustment of effort. I just raced. I got off the bike. T2 came. Only a marathon to go. This ain't Essex anymore, my lad. My first steps on the run were not graceful. In fact, I didn't take many graceful steps that day. I decided to break the course down into very small projects so that I could manage it, avoiding 26.2 miles, the daunting number. But I didn't break it down into single one-mile projects because I felt so rough that that would have been too large of a single project relative to how I felt. So instead, I broke it down by lampposts, 50 yards apart, get to the post, get to the post, reset, get to the post, get to the post, reset again and again and again. As I edged towards the first aid station, my dialogue came. Don't have a Coke. Be patient. Don't have a Coke. You feel terrible, Matt. Have a Coke. No, don't have a Coke. Don't have a Coke. Once you go on, you can't come off. Once you go on, you can't come off. Wait wait, wait. Well, I trundled along, I came to the table and I grabbed the coke. Down it went, all in one sun, of course. 
It became my fuel of the day, water and coke, 26 age stations, probably 35 to 40 Coca-Colas ingested over the day, lamppost by lamppost by lamppost. I plodded along and finally I made it. Hardly website worthy, I can assure you. And the simple fact was, I wasn't equipped for the subject of today's show, heat. I had no tools. I didn't adjust. I certainly didn't think about preparing in advance. And therefore, the outcome was, I suffered. Well, today, we go hot, hot, hot. A guide on approaching racing when heat strikes. How to adjust, how to adapt to get your best performance within context of that added environmental stress. But there's more. In part two, we're going to go into providing some insider knowledge on using heat training to actually prepare in advance and set up your best performance before you even get to race site and even weaponizing heat, using it as a tool to boost performance in any environment. Whether Ironman, marathon, bike racing or more, beat the heat. Convert it into a performance tool. But before we get all hot and bothered, I want to do a little news. And then, well, I'm going to ask for a little dance. So what's the news? Well, you're asking, so I'm telling. We're going to come back one more time. Purple Patch Squad. We are, folks, live. It is open and ready. It's our brand new triathlon program for all distances, and it's specifically designed for time-starved athletes. And that means that it includes dynamic programming for you to easily manage your own schedule and integrate training into your life, a whole host of supporting education and comprehensive health guides so you don't get lost on the way, Workouts that link and integrate with all of your devices as well as all of those trendy apps of the day so you can get coaching cues as you're riding along on Zwift or Trainer Road. And Purple Patch Athlete only live video meetings with myself and the Purple Patch team every week. So you can throw away your PDF or your canned online plans and instead we're putting all of the tools in your hands so that you can navigate your triathlon journey, improving, arriving race ready and ultimately integrating this sport into your life. You also get to do this in sync with like-minded, performance-driven teammates, just like yourself. Now, this isn't just a shameless land grab and sales promotion. The reason I bring this up outside of being very proud of the product is I wanted to let you in on our mindset and vision. You see, we want to do this right And the truth is we're actually in no hurry or rush in the coming months. We're not driven by growth here. What we really want is quality. And so we're circling as a team all of our efforts around the first in the door early adopters and our current athletes. For the rest of this year, our focus is purely on athlete nurturing. And a part of that process is going to be listening, refining and evolving the product in real time. And that's what makes it fun. Our early adopters who joined the beta program, already up, running, and they've already part of our inner circle of core purple patch athletes. Today, I want to invite you, but I only want to invite you if I pique your interest. You see, I want people who are performance-driven, who love understanding the why behind training, are motivated to learn and become empowered, but also find that self-management and decision-making is a positive part of their journey. And so, yes, the doors are open, but you shouldn't expect any big ads or shameless self-promotions in magazines anytime soon. It might sound bizarre, but we're looking for a committed army of like-minded folks, and we're not just going for that big land grab. In fact, I was even hesitant to mention it on the show, but I've got asked, and so 
here it is. If you are interested, purplepatchfitness.com, head to the squad page, read and review, and then I'd encourage you to ask yourself a question. Is this right for me? If so, get on board the early bus. But if you're not sure, just reach out and we're happy to have a chat with you and consult and see what is a good fit for you. So ultimately, look, we're excited to make our relationship a little more formal than just on this show or in the books. But now, with that done and in the rearview mirror, would you like to dance with me? Really? It's just a short song. It's not a slow song. Stand up. Wiggle the hips. Let's do word of the week. We like the way he thinks. Serious with a wig. Let's open the book. It's time to take a peek. It's the Dictionary Word of the Week. The word of the week this week is actually painted into graffiti on my back fence. It's Evolve. At Purple Patch, we talk about evolve or die. We discuss growth and development. A great mate of mine, Jerry Rodriguez of Tower 26, consistently says that for coaches of all levels, once you think you've got it worked out, it's time to stop because you are guaranteed to be in decline. So the word of the week this week, yes, is evolve. It's a critical piece of the puzzle for athletes and coaches. But in order to evolve, you must Seek chances to grow. You must be your most objective critique to find areas for your improvement. You must be humble enough to listen to others who can and will tell you where you can improve. And as a coach, that's often your athletes, by the way. You must also be transparent enough to highlight the areas that you're aiming to improve as much as the areas that you think you're doing great. And ultimately, you must be brave enough to implement change. For me, this year, it's a bit of an ironic one. More recovery. What? The recovery coach saying he puts more recovery in? Yes, it's true. 2019, more recovery. Especially amongst the Purple Patch Pros and the more elite amateurs that tend to have more time. They are now getting more rest. I've drawn down the intensity on some of the longer distance sessions and rides. I've transitioned to only two really hard days each week. Over the last two to three years, I've started to sneak it up to three hard days. This year, two hard days. Tuesday, Saturday, Wednesday or Sunday. What's happened as a result so far? Consistency has improved. Performance predictability is much greater. And vibrancy and stability of the athlete, or some might say happiness is sparkling. And in many ways, ironically, this is a return for me. It's a return to my natural area of recovery being central. But of course, it's natural to push the boundaries, to look to sneak a little bit more work. But to grow, what I've had to do now is reflect and return to my core belief, truly integrated recovery spread among some freaking hard work. Ultimately, creates the magic it's a circular as fashion isn't it and it's also why the word of the week this week is evolve but now let's get on with the meat and potatoes yes the meat and potatoes heat For many, it's a performance killer. 
We train so hard and then we suffer due to an uncontrollable environmental stress. And yet, we are in more control than you might think. With a little dose of pragmatism and some preparation, we can limit the damage and still retain high performance. And so today, we dive into the oven and we investigate performance in heat. So let's break it down. This is what we're going to go through and how we're going to frame out today. We're going to break this into two parts. The first part, performance in a hot environment. We're going to go through three areas in that. Why does performance suffer in the heat? And I want to warn you in advance, there's a smidgen of physiology in there, but I try and break it down into very, very simple and accessible terms. Then we go into a little bit of strategy, break down the steps that you can take to offset the suffering and and reduce the performance decline. And finally, the big common mistake, the big pitfall that so many athletes make when they go to a hot environment. And then we'll shift gears, part two using heat as a performance enhancer, how to prepare in advance for specific heat training and acclimation, and how these strategies can ultimately potentially boost performance in any of your races. Think about that. All I did was mention one word, and very quickly we came up with an agenda that includes two parts and multiple subsections. It reminds me of the immediate talk that springs up of the heat of summer of 76 and the hosepipe bams popping up all over England as soon as we have two days of sun and temperatures breaking into the low 70s. Really, that happens. For a country that languishes in so much rain, we do so very quickly fall into drought conditions at the first sign of sun, don't we? But anyway, enough of my childhood memories, let's get cracking. As Shirley Bassey says, let's get this party started. And so with that, part one, managing performance in heat. So what happens? What actually happens as we go into heat? What's the component? Well, there are two main things that we need to be concerned about as an athlete. The first is your core temperature and the second is your blood volume. Of course, they're linked, they're related, they're tied in with each other. But let's talk about core temperature first. See, we as human beings are what they call endotherms. And what that means is very simply that we control our own core temperature. And so it's really important for us to go through a bunch of processes so that we can actually keep our center of our body, our core temperature in a relatively narrow range. In fact, optimal functioning It's just around a two degree swing either side, about 97 to 99 degrees Fahrenheit. And there's a host of metabolic reactions that 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 occur in our body that generate heat. And that really enables us to do that thing, temperature management. But as athletes, we do a lot of work and we're very demanding on our bodies. And in fact, the harder the event is, the longer the event is, the more work that we do, the more heat that we generate. And when we're working hard, The muscles are generating a lot of heat. And so if we need to keep our core temperature to be healthily functioning at the optimal level in a pretty narrow range, if we're generating a whole bunch of of heat, and then the temperature in the room, in your body, is going to go up. Unless we can offload or dissipate this heat to the external environment. And we need to do that so that we avoid overheating or what they called hyperthermia. So how do we do that? Well, sweating, of course. We dissipate heat 
through sweating. We are sweating machines. And it turns out we are really, really effective at it. It is the key way that we actually dissipate heat. We're much better than dogs because dogs don't sweat. They lose all of their heat out of the tongues. And that's why in the height of summer, your dog lies down, tongue comes out. They're not very good at dissipating heat. In fact, when we think about sweating, the more we work, the more we sweat. And when we get more and more effective of cooling, the more fit that we get. In fact, we start to sweat earlier and we sweat more as fitness climbs. It's a good thing because we can become an even better cooling machine. But now, what happens if we put ourselves in a stinking hot and humid environment? We still need to dissipate heat, but it's tougher to do now that we have the external heat stress amplifying our overall stress. And humidity added to the equation lessens the effectiveness of our cooling capabilities. Okay, so we're managing this core temperature the whole time. And we know that once we get over a level, we start to have sharp performance decline. And in fact, once we get to a very hot level, we start to have some serious health implications that can lead all the way, unfortunately, to death. Great. So we've got to manage core temperature from our hard work, and we know that it's made harder in heat. And we know that we do this via sweating. But let's dig a little deeper, because now we need to talk about blood. There's so much talk about hydration and working out in heat, but less of helping athletes understand the why behind the hydration in their blood. So let's peel it back a little bit. So in very simple terms, you are, at least I hope you are, the vast majority of the time, a closed system of circulating blood. You're going to have about five to six liters of blood that's circling around and around and around the body. And it has lots of roles, and we're going to get into that. If we take a vial of your blood and we spin it into centrifuge, it's going to start to separate out the heavy stuff at the bottom, the lighter stuff at the top. At the bottom, that's all of your oxygen carrying red blood cells, your hemoglobin. And that's when you hear people discuss hematocrit. It's simply the percentage of your total blood volume that's made up of those oxygen carrying red blood cells. The rest of it, typically around 55 to 60%, is your plasma. And let's call it, for the sake of this conversation, your body water. Lots of vitamins and minerals and electrolytes. And this is the component of your blood that can fluctuate and is dependent on your state of hydration. Well, when you sweat, it is the plasma that we are effectively dissipating. And hence, the potential variation. Now, when we lead into sports performance, your blood is going to have three major roles. If we come up to the very top level, three major roles. First, it's going to deliver oxygen to the muscles so that we can generate the energy. And of course, at the same time, it's there to offload some nasty byproducts like carbon dioxide. The second challenge or role is that the blood must be driven to the skin to dissipate that heat that you're generating from the exercise or the work that you're doing. Otherwise, as we discuss, your core temperature is going to climb and bad, bad, bad things can happen. And the third component is blood rushes to the gut to help with absorption of any calories or hydration that you're consuming during your training or racing. 
when you exercise, the competition that occurs between those three roles, delivering of blood to the muscles, rushing it to the skin to dissipate heat and to the gut, it is amplified and it is amplified massively in heat. There is an ever increasing competition, mostly between skin and muscle. What about the gut, you say? Well, guess what? The gut loses almost immediately. It's an afterthought of performance. Nutrient absorption, it's a nice to have, but it's not critical. We want to, our minds want to do the work. Go, go, go. And so we ask the blood to rush to the muscle to keep up with the demands of your activity of your race. But at the same time, the body must dissipate heat. And when hot over time, fatigue starts to accumulate, the body is going to start to heat quicker and we're going to be losing greater amounts of sweat. And so therefore, the natural byproduct is a drop in your blood volume. And when that begins to occur, several negative performance implications raise their ugly heads. And so what are the effects of increasing core temperature and a loss of blood volume? Well, the first is there's a massive increase of your rate of perceived effort relative to any workload. There's also higher metabolic stress. Your heart rate stress will be much higher for the same pace or output. You're going to have an accompanying loss of economy. And the way to think about that is your fuel efficiency in your car is going to start to drop. You're going to get less miles per gallon. And on top of it, remember we talked about the gut losing immediately, you're going to have massively impaired absorption of calories. All of that is going to add up to an early onset of fatigue, your power and pace effectively dropping, and ultimately, if left unattended, and then continued core temperature and dehydration is going to lead to massive performance decline and even health or even life-threatening conditions. And so here's something that I want you to remember as we march on in this show. And this is something that's very simple that you can take away. In a race, once you become, in parentheses here, too dehydrated, you cannot recover during that race. And so therefore, we have to manage and think ahead and plan and have a strategy for it. Once you become too dehydrated, you cannot recover in a race. That's different than if you bonk and you run out of calories and you take some sugar or drink a Coke, the lights can come back on. Dehydration, not so much. The second component is once your core temperature clips too high, it is very difficult to impossible to recover during a race, at least without slowing down dramatically. And so therefore, the importance of managing this right from the start of the race and ongoing throughout your race is critical if you're performing in heat. And this can get serious. It can get really serious. You can ultimately have GI and organ issues. You can have impaired long-term thermoregulation in capabilities. You can even have, if left untethered, brain damage and death. And so, for the second piece of part one, what are the strategies that we can employ? You see, we want to keep cool, we want to maximise performance, but we want to do so within the context of the conditions. And so there are five main things that we can do to help offset or help us manage the conditions. 
The first, and you're going to hate this one, you're going to wish that this wasn't the case, but the first is that you simply have to moderate your pace and output relative to the conditions. And it might seem so simple, but it has to be said. Think about it this way. Our goal in racing is to maximize performance. Obviously, personal performance. We want to go as fast as we can in a race. And we must do that relative to our fitness that we're going in, and I would say actually freshness going in, assuming we don't have massive accumulated fatigue. And so relative to your physical capabilities and your fitness, you want to maximize performance. But we also must do this within the context of the environment. Because with all the above discussed, heat will slow you down. And so if you're so stubborn to chase exactly the same pace as you would expect to do in a 65 degree race, and then it's going to be in the 90s, it is going to become very, very tough to manage. And so, A, manage your pace and your output. B, you want to maintain your blood volume. And yes, what I mean by that is this is your hydration. Now, of course, the subject of hydration is several shows in itself. And I encourage you at this stage, if you want to learn more and you haven't listened to the show too much, go back. We've got an episode just on hydration. And just recently, I had a fascinating conversation with Andy Blow of Precision Hydration. And we tackle and break down hydration and performance down to the nth degree. But the key for maintaining blood volume and heat is that with added heat stress externally, we are going to be needing to cool more and more from the work that we're generating. And realizing that declining blood volume is a catalyst for performance decline. And so therefore, before we are overheated and before we have dropped blood volume, we must think ahead and ensure that we amplify our rehydration needs, both in terms of volume of hydration, frequency and timing of hydration and what is actually in the bottles that we're consuming so that we can absorb and keep the levels up as much as we possibly can in the inevitable losing battle. And so you need a plan. You must execute it from the start. As mentioned, you cannot catch up later and you have to play the long game. Now, that's especially true in races such as Ironman. And I'll give you an example. Getting off the bike with minimal dehydration isn't as much about your bike performance in the Ironman. Instead, it's more about setting up a positive run performance relative to your train potential. And so, so many people draw themselves to, I've got to work on the run. But in fact, if they're operating in a hot environment, so often it's just about poor hydration management on the bike that ultimately is contributing to that poor run performance. C, or the third strategy, avoid heat spikes. See, stubbornness and stupidity will maximize the negative effect of heat. If you're running a marathon or you're running off the bike, making sure that you control the metabolic stress or your heart rate, especially in spikes of work on things like hills. And that typically means a more controlled, managed effort up the hill, maybe even integrating some smart walking in the long term creates a much better return on the effort that you're putting in. And so if your heart rate or your perceived effort at any point is getting out of control, it is much better to reset form and lower the stress 
with maybe some integrated smart walking before you actually have to. And that becomes a valuable strategy. In other words, don't wait until the bomb has dropped before building your bomb shelter. There's one for the conspiracy theorists right there, isn't it? D, utilizing cooling techniques. What do I mean by that? Well, really, it's cooling techniques with fluids from inside out, as well as actually what you're wearing. Having much lighter, really breathable clothing has a huge impact, and I wouldn't underestimate it. You also want to ensure that you're as much deflecting direct sun on you as you can. That might include cooling sleeves, visors, hats, whatever you can do to keep the sun directly off your skin, which will actually limit over time, especially if you get sunburned, your thermoregulatory ability. We also want to call the thermoregulators. So as you go through aid stations, dropping water or ice water on the back of the shoulders and the forearms is a really effective component. But ultimately, if possible, you want to call from the inside out. So if you have access to ice beverages, it's a good thing to drink and chew ice and swallow to try and get that core temperature down as much as possible, not forgetting that you also need the volume of hydration to really help maintain that blood volume. Whew. It's a lot to chew on already. Let's summarize it again, your strategies. Moderate your pace and output. Everything you can do to maintain blood volume. Avoiding heat spikes when you're actually in the race by integrating walk breaks or controlled running when you're going up the hills before you get into trouble, making sure that you moderate the effort or reset, even integrating a walk break for the long-term gains and ultimately utilizing cooling techniques, including your choice of clothing and of course cooling from the inside out with ice cold beverages if possible. But what about the big mistake? Here's the biggest thing. It is the anchor of dreams and expectations. It's rooted to times, splits, and outputs. So many athletes are absolutely shackled and controlled by metrics. Now, data is highly valuable, but an over-obsession and reliance can lead to the old mistake of driving the car into the lake just because the GPS guided you there. Just like any effective fueling or hydration strategy, performance in heat requires, and here it is, folks, the secret, it requires listening to the body. Most athletes set the path of their own undoing because of a stubborn commitment to maintaining average power or chasing splits, and they fail to adjust, there's the word, adjust or moderate, based on the signals that their body is telling them. They refuse to temper dreams and realize that a great performance in heat isn't likely quite the same one in terms of power or pace or time as it might be in cool conditions. Now, I hear it now. The listeners are rumbling. What? Yeah? Have you stood on the sidelines of the Hawaii Ironman? Those athletes are peeling off incredible performances and there is no place that's hotter to go and do an Ironman distance race. Well, the answer to that is, yes, I have. I've stood there many, many times. I've bonked as a spectator in Hawaii. I've had swollen ankles 
as a spectator in Hawaii. I have had athletes suffer in Hawaii. I have had athletes win overall in Hawaii at their age group and become multiple in the top 10 as a pro. So yes, I know Hawaii. And yes, their performances are incredible. But realize this, the Hawaii Ironman should be a fast course. In in case you don't understand that, fast for the Americans. It should be fast. The actual performances there are muted. And they're muted due to the harshness of the environment. And so, yes, even there, output and pace expectations must be muted in order to achieve greatness. Now, we could go on and we could talk about strategies all day. But the ultimate component is if you moderate your pace and you have a pragmatic mindset and you go about management of blood volume, you can arrive ready to have a good performance within the heat, no matter how much you hate it. But the less equipped genetically, or if you're a bigger person, a bigger athlete, you might have to moderate more than the person that loves the heat. And that is just a simple fact of racing. But with that, let's shift gears and let's move to part two of this conversation. What can we do ahead of time? How can we prepare for heat? And ultimately, How can we weaponize it? Many ask, what can I do to prepare for performance in heat? And the good news is there are several things. But as I just sort of alluded to, we should first acknowledge a couple of things. There is a genetic component. Some people are just better equipped to operate in heat. And it's not always down to the second acknowledgement. But typically, there tends to also be a size component. If you're a big guy like me that has to generate a lot of work just to move along at a decent pace, you are generating more heat and our surface area of our skin doesn't net as the mathematics lie and we tend to operate more poorly in heat. And so, yes, there's a genetic component. There tends to be a size component. There's also one more that you probably don't know about, a birth component. And it's a simple Dixon roll. If you were born in Essex and you grew up living above a fish and chip shop, the simple truth is that the vast likelihood is you're not going to perform well in heat. Now, sorry to the very few who fall into that outlier category, but for you, it's time to choose cool races and short races. So in summary, there's a genetic component, tends to be a size component, and there's the chippy boy and Essex component. But with all that said, how can you arrive ready for your best performance in heat possible. Well, there are four main components here. The first, fitness. The fitter you are, the better equipped you are. Because a lot of the physiological adaptations that we talk about, they tend to come on due to fitness and stress. The fitter you get, the faster that you start to sweat, the more that you sweat, you become a more effective caller. The second component is ensuring that you're not arriving at races fatigued. When you carry deep state of overstress, either from life or under recovery from training too much, it's going to impair your thermoregulation and heat performance. Third, one just for the ladies, for women, if possible, and knowing that it's not always possible, but if possible, dodge the days leading into your menstrual cycle. 
Now, we're going to be doing a whole series on the female athlete very soon, but it's enough to know that if you get to avoid the days prior to your period, your thermoregulation is going to be better. One of the unfortunate negative onsets or symptoms of the time of the month is impaired thermoregulation. And then finally, number four, what you've been waiting for, being proactive in heat protocols. Heat protocols, there's something to do. Yes, there is. It's the special source. So let's talk about it. We're actually going to get to talk about actual heat preparation in training. Now, when we think about this, the next section, the final section, section two here, I want you to remember some very simple rules to follow and things to appreciate. The first is that prep for heat, so far as heat protocols, the mission is, number one, we want to increase blood volume. That's one of the big gains that we want to do. We also want to facilitate physiological adaptations that are going to improve heat performance, things like sweat onset and as well as sweat rate. But we must achieve these adaptations in balance. And what I mean by that is it wants to be in balance of us not compromising the quality of our key training sessions, those sessions that are going to move the performance needle. So we can't be adapting or getting ready for heat if it's sucking down the physical performance in our, those sessions that are designed to move the performance needle. And on top of it, we have to be really cognizant that we're not simply dumping another stressor, heat training, on top of an already emerging house of cards of performance readiness. And so, how? How do we do this? Well, there are two paths, and they're under a very similar umbrella. And so, let's talk through and then diverge when it becomes necessary. The first component, if you want to prepare for heat, is to ensure that you hit your key sessions, the tough ones, and you want to hit them in the best environment possible. And so what I don't want you to do is go out and aim for high heat in those sessions that are designed to move the performance needle. You want to save your heat-specific sessions for those supporting workouts or for doing the protocol following the key sessions. And so the first component, the big driven stake in the center of the ground is make sure you maintain the integrity of the key sessions. The second component is you want to utilize the heat protocol sparingly. So I would save this for only maybe two times a year, maybe three times a year in 10 to maybe 20 days prior to the departure of a race. And it's a little sprinkle, just an add-on protocol. And the final component is it's critical as you add this protocol, you acknowledge that it is a stress and you maintain pragmatism and awareness. Because if we know that heat training is stressful, if you're accumulating fatigue by adding it in, it's not going to net out in a positive. And so if stress starts to climb, if you start to feel lethargic, it becomes the first thing that you pull out. So with those things in mind, there are two paths. A, the sauna protocol. B, training in the heat. So let's go through the sauna first. Here's how you do it. Normal training sessions. Bike workout, swim workout, run workout. I prefer to do it on land if possible. So imagine that you're doing a very hard bike trainer workout. 
During that session, we're looking for performance. And so you hydrate, you fuel, you execute as normal in the best conditions as possible. As soon as you finish the workout, no post-hydration. You can have a little bit of protein for recovery if you want to kickstart it. You can even have that in a little bit of fluid if necessary. But overall, you're not looking to restart the hydration process. Instead, you go right into a sauna. And you sit in there, that nice, hot, sticky, sweaty environment, for 15 to 30 minutes. It sounds relaxing, doesn't it? It isn't. It's hell on earth. Now, during the 15 to 30 minutes, and it doesn't have to be 30, go in there as long as you can stand from about 10, 15 minutes up to 30 minutes. I don't want you to hydrate during. And that lack of hydration accompanied with the heat stress is going to load the kidneys and it's going to force adaptations. And the result is going to be a boost in plasma volume and increase in sweat onset and rate. Once you've finished up, shower, freshen up, comb your hair, refuel. And then what you want to do is begin the steady rehydration process that takes about four to six hours. And you want to get all the way back up fully hydrated state. Now you can do this almost daily leading up to the traveling event. You can also get very similar adaptations without a sauna. Not everyone has easy access to a sauna. So instead, it's the additional sessions and workouts that you do. But these have to be very low stress. Walking, easy spinning on the bike, very easy running in place. Zone one, creeping into zone two and never above. The easy way to think about it, conversational. There are no key intervals in these. And when you're doing these sessions, you bundle up in clothes in as hot an environment as you can create with no fan. And as you're going through them for 30, maybe up to 60 minutes, you're doing limited hydration. And then the same protocol. Finish, shower, freshen up, comb your hair, never forget. Presentation's important, boys. And then refuel and begin steady rehydration up to full status over the course of the next four to six hours. And you can do it daily in the leading all the way up to travel. Now... Ladies and gentlemen, the weaponization, the little gift. These protocols that we talked about produce the physiological adaptations that help you performing heat, but there's more. You see, boosting blood volume and increasing your cooling effectiveness, when you combine it all up, is a performance edge in all conditions. And so utilized intelligently, I actually like heat training as a parallel tool that many chase in altitude training. But again, I echo, please, please, please be cautious and frame it within context. Remember, great performances come from consistent and appropriate training supported with positive habits and enough recovery. And that is enough for a catalyst of acceleration. And so the performance boost that we're talking about with just a sprinkle of sparkle on us is already layered onto a great product. It's not going to be your savior if everything else is rubbish. And so we're going to end with an old adage from the pinnacle of sports in England. Horses for courses. Horses for courses. Or if you need translating from Cockney, horses for courses.
ultimately, if you really hate heat and it's not your thing, be smart in your choice of races. It's okay not to have the quest to try and go to the Hawaii Ironman. It's smart to not choose a Midwest Ironman in July and be confused when it's 95 degrees. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is my take on heat. There is obviously much, much more to this subject than just that. But I hope that this conversation today at least begins to frame the path for you. We're going to be digging deeper over the coming weeks. Now, let's finish this thing. We're going to do just one question this week. And we've had a lot of questions. And so why am I holding back and just doing one? Well, next week's show, I'm going all in on questions. I'm going to hit a whole episode just responding to the stuff that you've asked me over the last few weeks. These proved to be popular episodes, and so people have asked many things. But in advance of that, if you do want to sneak a question in over the coming days, head over to the podcast page at purplepatchfitness.com. There's a nice little form that right there you can fill in your questions, and hopefully I get it in advance of recording, and I can give you a straight answer straight to you and the group as quickly as possible. But today... We're going to go to France for our singular question. Now, I don't actually have your first name. It's N. Cougal. N. Cougal. So what does that N stand for? Is it Nicole? Is it Noel? Whatever your name is, please let me know. But N. Cougal from France. And uh, I'm going to call her, I'll call her Nell. Nell has advice for a post-A race recovery so far as nutrition and training. She said, hi, Matt. Thanks so much for a great podcast. I'm a regular listener. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I tend to focus on 70.3 races, and I'm usually in the first 10% of my age group. And I have a question regarding the week following a race. What are the key recommendations regarding nutrition, hydration, and training? Well, I think a key component or, or, or a consideration is, is the week following a race going to be followed by a long block of training where you can fully heal and then rebuild or do you have another race coming up over the coming two three or four weeks if it's the latter and then it's absolutely critical that we take a couple of steps the first is i tend to prefer to rest after a few days so if you have a sunday race we typically follow a protocol that on monday We'll have athletes do an endurance ride. Not too long, depending on their time and capability, but for my pro athletes, it might be a little bit longer. It might be two to three hours of riding, and it's smooth. The following day, we do a short swim that's very low stress and a very easy run. And then on the third day comes the rest, a very easy spin and complete rejuvenation. Up from there then, we tend to go back into endurance for a couple of days before at the weekend we do building intervals to very hard and then we're back on to the training cycle. If you're following a big A racing and have a complete break, I still like that protocol to be honest but I'm a little more flexible with it. If people just want to turn their backs on the sport, it's a wonderful time to do it. The key component is I tend to wait about 72 hours, at least 48 hours, before we have really meaningful analysis of the race. And we've talked about that before. So far as nutrition, eat regular amounts, Give yourself a little plasticity, a little bit of freedom to enjoy yourself a little bit more with some of your pleasurable foods. If you really like pizza and burgers, it's a wonderful time post-race to have it. 
but overall the focus is on repair. And so we need to have a little less focus on starchy carbohydrates after the first 24 hours and a little bit more with supporting the immune system and muscle integrity. So a lot of protein, a lot of oils, a lot of fruits and vegetables, and a little less focus generally over race week on starchy carbohydrates. It doesn't mean you should avoid them completely or eliminate them. They just don't need to be the dominant component of your meal. To facilitate recovery, hydration is absolutely critical. And the final thing I'd say is take as much time as you need. And so in other words, if you're coming back, it's much, much better to be 24 or 48 hours more patient before you try and go back to hard training than it is to worry and think, goodness me, I've got to get back into training. And that is amplified as an emotional component. If you have a great race, wow, I feel great. Let's carry on. Boom. And that's where problems occur later on. Or if you've had a frustrating race, I need redemption. And so instead of that, I always like to have athletes go one extra day or maybe two extra days of recovery and easy training before they turn the brain back on into full focus. And so, Nell, or Madame Kugo, as you would say, thank you very much. And I hope that helps. Next week, guys, questions. Get your questions in quickly as soon as you hear this episode, and I'll answer them. If not in the next show, certainly the one following. Until then, thanks so much and have a great week. Take care. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. If you like what you hear, we'd really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and review the show. The Apple Podcast link is in the show notes. Your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Cheers!